welcome to the Patientless Podcast. We discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly about real-world data and AI in clinical research. This is your host, Kareem Galil, co-founder and CEO of Mendel AI. I invite key thought leaders across the broad spectrum of believers and descenders of AI to share their experiences with actual AI and real-world data initiatives. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Patientless. Today's guest is Jason Labont from DataVant. Jason joined DataVant as part of DataVant's acquisition of UPK, where he led the product management there. Jason actually comes from a very scientific background. He did his PhD at Harvard in virology, which means he's really in high demand nowadays, given all what's happening with COVID. And obviously at DataVant, he kept innovating on the product side. We're really honored to have you, Jason, on this call. Thank you for giving us the time for it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. So why don't we start by telling our audience more about you guys at DataVant and also maybe about you, right? I, I just give a very quick introduction, but the journey from virology in Harvard to product management of a Silicon Valley tech company is obviously an interesting journey that the audience will be interested to know more about that. Sure. Yes. As you mentioned, I had my PhD in virology. It was uh, a lot of fun to do the bench work, but I did not envision myself as being a bench scientist for the rest of my career. So I was looking around at roles that would allow me to still interact with the scientific literature and thinking about science and and medicine, but not actually performing that research. And so my first job out of uh, my PhD was with Decision Resources Group, where I was a market analyst. And that was a role that was primarily uh, centered on doing deep research on specific disease states. Uh, We did a lot of interviews with thought leaders, with physicians. But we also played with a lot of the uh, data that was available at the time to build market forecasts. And so that was my first entree into health data, was using retail pharmacy counts from folks like iCubia. As I progressed through my career, uh, we started playing with claims data sets, looking at how we could use that data to understand lines of therapy and switching patterns within specific disease sets and across therapies using patient claims. And so over my career, I've gotten progressively involved in, in how you can use that real-world data to understand how a disease is manifesting itself uh, within a patient population and how treatment paradigms can be monitored using that data set. And so that was my, my background uh, going into uh, Universal Patient Key before they were acquired by DataVant, where really UPK and now DataVant focused on how do I not stay limited by having a single data set to work with? So a single pharmacy uh, claim set or a medical claim set, but how do I actually find all of the data that is relevant to the analytical problem I'm trying to solve? And so as, as a former analyst, I could really appreciate the benefits that would bring if, if I didn't have to choose between data set A or data set B, but I could actually get both together. That gives me the ability to uh, fill geographic gaps, to fill demographic gaps in the types of patients I have coverage of. It allows me to um, find different variables that aren't in a single data set, but might be found by combining the different fields of different data sets from different sources. So I really like the, the mission of, of DataVant in that regard. You know, stepping back, DataVant's vision, big picture is to connect the world's health data. Our partners are using our privacy protecting linking technology to link together disparate data sorts, data sets from across the entire ecosystem of, of folks that are collecting that data from patients. We're allowing our customers to really link those patient data sets together 
to build a longitudinal history without knowing the identity of those patients. That's a really important piece of our model is to preserve patient privacy. And our big picture goal is to create an open data ecosystem where organizations retain full control of their data. So they get to decide what data, under what terms, and to whom they're going to share with. But because they have that control, it, it really increases the liquidity of data to move to the people who need it to do their analytics. And so our role in that exchange is really to provide the technology infrastructure to enable a data source to safely share data with a data consumer. And we support our all of our clients in linking that data together wherever it's sourced without compromising patient privacy. So on that patient privacy point, you guys are linking one of the world's most sensitive data. Clinical data today is the, the most sensitive data, and there's a lot of concerns, right, about patient privacy. How can you link data sets without compromising patient privacy? Yeah, great question. So this is a, a technology that's been around for a little while in different forms, but I think we've refined it to what we believe is the most secure way to do that. Essentially, in a nutshell, our software is an on-prem piece of software. So we ship our software to uh, a data source that is, is holding PHI. That data source, therefore, does not have to share PHI with us or with anybody else, but they run our, our software on-prem. And what the software does is two things. It uh, removes identifying information from that PHI data set to turn into a de-identified data set per HIPAA. As it removes a patient's name and address and other identifying info, it's adding back a, a unique encrypted identifier for that patient, um, which we call a, a data map patient key. It's also known as a token in the industry. And this key is unique to each patient, right? So as I create this de-identified output data set, it's got unique patient keys for each of those individuals. And that key is interoperable with any other data source who's also running the data event software. So while I might have a record in three different data sets as Jason Levante, once those three data sets have de-identified their records, I now have a unique encrypted patient key in each one so that when they send their data off to another party to join my records together, they can use this linking key to know that all these records belong to the same person, even though they no longer know it's me. So that's really in a nutshell how the, the software works. And how do you guys deal with things like nurses missing some in, in data input? So one of the problems of this industry is there is no really standard way of how you input data in an EMR system. And in many cases, Johnson can be sometimes John and sometimes can be J-O and someone missed the rest of the name spelling and all those kind of errors. So how can you guys ensure that the fidelity of that integration piece of making sure that this patient is actually unique and identifiable across the whole system. Yeah, great question. It's, this is one of the longstanding uh, difficulties with anybody, whether they're dealing with identified data at a hospital and trying just to link together all of your, your patient records, or for us in the de-identified world, how do we do, do that matching correctly of a patient's records? So as you mentioned, there's a lot of ways that the data can be less than ideal when we, we work with it. It can be that different spellings of a name are used, people move and change addresses. And so the way we handle that is uh, when we create these, these linking keys in a, a de-identified record set, we're actually creating different versions of those keys. So each record may actually have six to eight different keys appended to it uh, based on different combinations of the underlying identifying information. So one of them may be built from your first name, your last name, your date of birth, and your gender. Um, but another one might be built off your social security number and your first name if those happen to be present. We build them off of email addresses or phone numbers or street addresses or varying combinations of those elements. So the idea is twofold. One, uh, if there is a missing data element, 
to uh, that restricts you from making one of our patient keys, hopefully you have the elements necessary to make some of the other ones. So you can link on those instead. But secondly, and probably a little more importantly is when I have multiple keys made, I can actually tease apart different matches to know which ones are correct and which ones are incorrect by making my matching algorithm uh, demand astringency by saying, I need at least you know five of the eight linking keys to be the same before I declare this to be a match. That's really cool. And what about cases where data is unstructured? So for example, in today's world, a lot of the physicians actually are dictating data to some sort of device and getting someone to input this data for them somewhere else. How can you guys deal with cases like that, where actually the data doesn't exist in the form where you can see where's the first name and where's the last name is? Yeah, that's a great question. So our system works really seamlessly with structured data um, because we know all the different elements that are supposed to be there and we can properly de-identify it and create these linking keys out of the structured fields. For unstructured medical notes, imaging notes, and things like that, there's a really extreme wealth of information that's that's captured in that type of data. Um, but to your point, there are there are two problems in in working with that data. One is how do I properly de-identify it so that I remove everything that might be identifying in that note, and then how do I perhaps also at the same time extract those elements so I can create these linking keys out of it. Datavant has a solution for working with structured data to remove some of those elements. But quite honestly, we have a lot of partners who are really excellent at that as well. Um, and so Datavant, we view ourselves as, as a piece of the larger ecosystem. So as I mentioned earlier, we're helping people who have data share it with people who want data. But there's a whole host of other enabling technologies that are involved in making that data usable. And so we, we have partnerships with folks like Mendel AI who are really exceptionally talented at certain problems like taking in a, an unstructured note, structuring it, extracting values that we need to make a linking key. And I think by the, the using our technology along with our partner's technology, that's actually the optimal way to solve some of these more thorny problems. We actually had a very interesting experience using Datavance technology like a couple of weeks ago. We were working with a customer of ours and obviously without mentioning names, and they had a really interesting uh, data set. And we wanted to know like, do we have any kind of intersection? Is our data anywhere intersected with their data? And if there is any intersection, can we complement this data or we don't have to work together because we both have the same sets of data? And the experience of getting the intersection and getting all those analytics done within a few hours, I think is a game-changing experience because now two companies can really work together without exchanging any PHI without even having to share data with each other and can decide whether it's a good fit or not early on before getting into a study or into a project. But to the point of the structured and unstructured data, we invite a lot of guests to this podcast who make the claim like, listen, structured data is really good when it comes to certain therapeutic areas and we don't have to worry about unstructured data. The case of the unstructured data become more obvious in things like oncology, things like immunology, the more complicated diseases where there's a lot of comorbidities and the patients go through this chronic journey. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that unstructured data is essential regardless of the therapeutic area? I generally think that structured data is fine for a lot of the large chronic diseases that we have built a lot of the industry around over the last couple of decades, hypertension, diabetes, some of these Disease states where the coding is really well understood, it's really well populated, probably structured data is, is pretty sufficient for a lot of those. But as you point out, the nuances that we're starting to see, and I think we saw first in oncology, 
where the coding architectures just aren't sufficient is really where unstructured data starts to shine. So I think we saw that a lot with oncology when you're looking for tumor size and staging, when you start to look at biomarkers, a lot of those elements are just not well recorded in an EHR system and certainly not in, in a claims da data set. And so that's where unstructured data really starts to shine. But I think we can extrapolate out and say, you know, as personalized medicine becomes more and more attainable, the, the same things we're seeing in terms of the value of unstructured data in oncology are going to start to actually pertain back to some of those larger indications um, where we start to look at more and more subsets of, of patients with these chronic diseases and say, you know what, these, these folks are actually different in this segment versus that segment. And I can code them both with, with type 2 diabetes, but that's actually not that helpful anymore. Um, I need to get into those physician notes to understand what their recent test levels are, what's going on with other comorbidities, what their ability to maintain their, their healthy eating lifestyle is, all those other factors. That, but I don't think the value of unstructured data is completely diminished at all by that trend. I think especially as we start to think about uh, moving into rare disease spaces with more specialty products, those patients are often not diagnosed for eight to 10 years. So even if the structured side gets better and has a code for each disease state, a lot of folks are interested in how do I mine this data for the early signal before they're officially diagnosed? How do I look through the logs of symptoms and tests that are ordered and doctors that are referred to to understand this might be a patient with the disease that I'm, I'm seeking to enroll in a trial or that should be getting this lab test because I think they have the genetic condition I'm, I'm treating, that information is often to be found in that unstructured note early on here. So I do think that as an industry, we're going to find more and more uses for the unstructured side, even as we improve the structured piece. One funny story that we have seen in some of the unstructured data is the patient decided to stop a line of chemotherapy and the doctor wrote, a uh, patient decided to move from chemotherapy to milkshake and marijuana. And that kind of nuance, right? You cannot get from structured data, no matter how good your coding is, because the question comes in, why did this patient stop this chemotherapy? Is it because a side effect or is it because the patient passed away or is it because he jumped to another line? The last thing that can ever cross your mind is that this patient decided to jump on a milkshake line of therapy. And this kind of nuance, you just have to go through the unstructured data to, to, to understand the context of the events that happened. But that being said, you guys at DataVent are dealing with insane amount of data every day. Do you have access or visibility to what are the end use cases? Do your customers share with you what they have done with, with those projects? Or your job starts and ends at the tokenization and linkage of the data? Yeah, great question. So primarily, we are the infrastructure piece for moving data from party A to party B. They don't even have to move that data through us. We're just an enabling technology so that when they share directly with each other, that data is coming through de-identified and linkable. However, because we do sit between these two sides of the equation, the, the folks that have data and the folks that need to use data, we are actually often involved in those, those discussions of, you know, here's what I'm trying to do. This is the problem I'm trying to solve. What types of data are out there that I could use to feed this analytic? And can you introduce me to the, the right folks? So we do actually have pretty good visibility into the, the various use cases that our clients are, are trying to perform. We don't do analytics ourselves, so we're not inventing a lot of these, but there are a lot of smart people doing a lot of smart things out there. And so it, it's a great part of the job, actually, to, to see what folks are doing, see the innovations they're leading with, and to be involved in a small way with helping them out with that. 
Can you share with us some of those like interesting projects, obviously things that are not confidential, but one of the, like, the most interesting projects or use cases that you have seen in the last, say, year or something? I'll give you two. I think we talked a little bit about rare disease patients. One of the really interesting use cases is a biopharma company had a, a, a new therapy for a genetic disorder. It was a, a rare disorder. And the concern was that physicians may have patients that could benefit from this therapy but had no idea that this patient actually had that disease, didn't know to order the confirmatory diagnostic test to say, hey, this is an eligible candidate. And so what that company did is they, working with uh, a, a very smart vendor, basically aggregated uh, a number of different real-world data sets into a large linked data set. And then they built an AI model on top that said, I have a training data set of people I know have this disease and what they look like in real-world data. And then I have all these other patients who I don't know if they have the disease or not, but I have all their data. And they basically built an AI model that was able to predict uh, which patients in the larger real-world data setting were likely candidates to have this rare condition. And so using that, they, they built this predictive model. And now they're at the stage of seeing how they can use that model to identify physicians who might have patients with that disease and then educate those physicians. You know, if you have a disease, a patient with any of these symptoms, we suggest that they may be a candidate for this diagnostic test to confirm if they actually have this rare condition. And if they do, then now you know how to treat them. And so that was really exciting because they were trying to pick up signals that, you know, in isolation in a single data set didn't really mean much, right? One test, one referral, um, one set of symptoms. But in aggregate, when you start to link across all these different data sets, you can now start to see a pattern and identify these folks before the physician uh, could do so. And, and I, I think that's what we're going to see a lot of. Any single physician who's seeing the patient for the first time because they were referred, because the last physician didn't know what they were doing in terms of, of trying to identify this, that each new physician has to start from scratch. But we sitting with real world data kind of on top of this as an industry can start to say, well, while each person is starting from scratch, I can actually see the whole picture. I can help guide physicians towards the correct treatment path here because I'm seeing more than they can see themselves. Ideally, long-term, we give the physician that tool to be able to see all of that data in one spot and they can do that themselves. But I think right now, this is a, a really elegant approach to solving that problem. The second really interesting uh, use case that we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, interest in is how do I use real-world data to accelerate or enhance my clinical trial? Clinical trials are the gold standard for how we evaluate therapies. But in our view at Datavant, clinical trials are really just another silo of data, right? It's a really expensive silo, really you know, rich silo of data. But these are patients where we're collecting a lot of data, but we have put a subject ID on them so that we can't unblind the study. That has the unfortunate side effect that we also can't bring in any more data about that patient. And so if I have a clinical trial that I've run, and I have outliers that the data set does not explain, I'm stuck as a sponsor. I have to try to guess at what might have gone wrong. Hopefully, I design my next trial better. What we are now doing with some of our clients is embedding a datavant linking key for that patient inside the clinical trial data set. So as I said earlier, our patient keys are anonymized and encrypted, so they don't unblind the study in any way. Uh, but they do give the optionality to the sponsor to now bring in real-world data about that same patient cohort. And now uh, let's say a trial does not go well um, and they can't explain the results. I and mean, unfortunately, many of the trials end up in that situation. They can bring in real world data to say, what is different about this outlier group that can help me understand uh, how I can improve the trial design, the inclusion exclusion criteria, or the other factors that are underlying why this patient responded or didn't, why they had a certain safety event when other folks didn't. 
that should really help us design better trials. It should help us select the right patients for the, for the right treatments. And it doesn't even stop there. I think that by doing that tokenization in the patient cohort, once the trial ends, we can actually use real-world data to follow that patient over time without them ever having to come back to a site visit. We can monitor them even as they move locations to see, is there any long-term event that we need to understand around safety or efficacy? And so that's really exciting because I think that's, it's no longer choosing between real-world data and a clinical trial. It's actually saying, let's take the best of both worlds and let's make them combinable in a way that still protects the trial design, still protects patient privacy. But now we have an even richer data for us to, to use for analysis on whether this intervention works, is it safe, and who is it best suited for. Yeah. A symbiotic relationship between both data sets, I think, is the future. Uh, the answer is not either or. The answer is going to be the combination of both. But to the first use case that you talked about, I believe this is super interesting. A lot of patients go undiagnosed with rare diseases. And an AI model that can help detect that is obviously a super useful piece of uh, technology. The question is, how are you seeing the providers? So you talked about pharma embedding tokens in clinical trials, and they have the incentive to do that, the financial and the scientific incentive to do that. But what about the provider's side? Do you see physicians using those kind of AI algorithms, which require access to data? So as a physician, you'll have to make the choice between, yeah, that's a great AI model, but I also don't want to get sued by patients next day because their data were exposed, right? So you have this kind of tough choice between a really useful tool, but also big liability on accessing this tool uh, or allowing this tool to access data of a patient. How are you seeing the adoption curve on the provider side? Forget about the pharma, forget about the CROs. On the provider side, what's the adoption curve looking like? Yeah, I think that's going to take a while. I personally, I'm a, I'm a strong believer that there always will be a, a physician in between data and a treatment decision. I don't believe in a, you know, an AI generated treatment output where the doctor just blindly follows whatever the engine said to do. And, and I don't think any providers are thinking that's the right way to go. I think AI is going to be a great tool to sift through a large set of data about that patient and patients who look like them and suggest potential uh, areas of investigation for the physician to follow up on, potential lab tests that should be run, potential symptoms to ask about to kind of clarify the, the diagnostic. But I don't think that we're going to get adoption of AI as the kind of deciding element anytime soon. So I think if we can be um, careful about building robust AI algorithms that are built on you know, solid data and have been well vetted uh, in the scientific side, I can see physicians being willing to apply those algorithms against their EHR data to highlight patients who are at risk, need a, a different type of follow-up, an earlier follow-up than might otherwise be apparent. And I think that we're seeing a lot of that happening from kind of a population health angle from payers and providers who are looking at kind of their overall patient population and trying to identify folks who uh, may need uh, an intervention that's different than what you might normally think. But I think in terms of being willing to access data and being willing to use these algorithms, there's a number of other problems that have to be solved. And not to belabor it, but I think the, the, the data fragmentation is still the underlying issue. Uh, patients are seeing a large number of different physicians. Their data is being captured in different EHR environments, often with different data models and different data normalization rules. The ability to collapse all that data together quickly and you know, make it available to the AI algorithm to even run on. Those are big infrastructure problems for providers to solve before they could actually use an AI model at scale 
and, and in real time anyway. So there's a lot of other problems that have to get solved, I think, before that can actually come to fruition. A tokenization engine like yours can even go beyond the, the healthcare system. If you're able to marry a patient EMR record to what kind of food or groceries or what kind of shopping they are doing, now you have access to their diet. And if you can marry this to what kind of behavior they have through their credit card purchases, or is this someone who's always home? Do they have some psychological kind of uh, disorder or is it someone who's very outgoing? If you can marry all those data sets, which not necessarily exist even within the ecosystem of healthcare, it exists outside healthcare, and marry this to a patient's record, now you have a 360 view of what actually happened. I don't even think that the medical records has the full story. The story goes beyond the medical record, what kind of diet, where do you live, which state you're in, what kind of neighborhood you're even living in, and all this kind of data. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think the, the medical record is only a record of your interactions with the healthcare system. There are a host of other factors that determine whether you get a disease in the first place and what your outcome is likely to be after the fact. And, and we've seen that, you know, right now with, with COVID, the more vulnerable populations are getting hit especially hard. Just the, the segmentation you'd want to do to understand COVID is not available in the healthcare record. So socioeconomic status, access to care, race and ethnicity, all of those variables are, are poorly captured in a traditional healthcare data set. And so I completely agree. I think we're seeing a lot of interest in data sets that are traditionally used in the marketing world. So data sets about consumers in terms of their buying patterns, their housing status, their family size. Those are all things that are traditionally used when folks decide to have a place an ad uh, in front of you on the web or on your phone. But that data is there and that data is available to be linked if we can uh, run our software on it. And we're doing that in, in certain cases. And that now allows you to really address the social determinants of health. So what is your access to food, to housing? What's your educational status? What is your access to care and your consumer buying behavior? All of that gets really interesting. I, I know there is a group that is looking at credit scores because they're interested in understanding, can I look at missed bill payments as an early indicator of onset of Alzheimer's, right? So I, I can see patterns happening in these other data sets that give me early clues to somebody might be having something that's going on medically. So rather than serving you a better ad, we're going to be serving you better healthcare, exactly. which is obviously extremely more useful, right? Than trying to harass you on Instagram. We're going to basically be able to better understand disease. And as you said, it all starts by how can you link the data together in a way that does not kind of step on the patient's privacy and the concerns on data identification. Now, you guys did an awesome job with COVID. DataVan just really was one of those companies that quickly responded to COVID and were able to put their technology in good use. Can we spend some time talking about your COVID initiative and how you guys kind of built some sort of very collaborative approach of different companies to how can to address COVID? You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, thanks for asking me about that because we we have worked hard and I think that's a great example of our larger ecosystem coming to bear on a, on a critical problem. So, you know, as background, I think the COVID-19 pandemic has really revealed that our existing healthcare infrastructure, uh, especially here in America, is insufficient to answer a lot of the key questions that would almost seem pretty basic. Um, just trying to understand how many people are getting infected uh, with the disease, what is their outcome. That data, because it's siloed and fragmented across the United States, has been really hard for us to gather. 
And so Datavant was proud to basically pull together with a bunch of our, our ecosystem partners, the COVID-19 research database, which is a collection of de-identified linkable real-world data that has been generously made available pro bono to academic and public health researchers. So this collective is not just Datavant, it is Datavant with our linking technology, but the, the data sources that are part of our ecosystem have made their data available for free. We have technology partners who are hosting that data and building a access controlled research environment for researchers to come into, and they're doing that for free. We have uh, data hosting that's provided for free. We have services like expert certifiers, making sure that it's all de-identified per HIPAA that are, are providing those services for free. So it's been a tremendously joint effort to stand this up. And we, we stood up uh, this research database inside of a, a month and really put a bunch of data out to researchers quickly. To date, we have over 1,600 researchers who've registered to get access into this research environment. We have over 100 projects that are live and active in the research database. Wow. Over 100 projects. And we're starting to see those start to pop out now on the other side. So we've got some really interesting projects that have started to come out, which is tremendous. I think that there are, there are early projects looking at how mortality uh, data, which is in the data set, has been shouldered disproportionately by vulnerable populations and minorities. We've seen uh, really interesting projects looking at building reopening models based on these data and, and what the likely effect of reopening under different circumstances would have on disease burden. And so I think those are really interesting basic science questions around the disease, who it affects, and how we deal with it that this large linked real-world data set is now answering for folks. And so it's really been a, a tremendous effort. We continue to get generous donations of data from, from more and more players. And so we definitely encourage folks to make use of that asset. It's really, uh, I think, a great example of how this industry can come together and solve big problems pretty quickly with some pulling together of, of the best-in-class folks across all these different parts of the, of the solution. So again, uh, Datavant, we view ourselves as, as part of this larger ecosystem. Um, we are not, not the best at everything that is needed, but we have lots of uh, partners who are. And so I think we can replicate this for a lot of different needs in healthcare um, by, by now having the ability to pull together best-in-class folks uh, from data, from technology, from services, and, and pull them all together quickly for serving some of these needs. That's actually super quickly. You guys started that early summer. So to see hundreds of researches being done now, that's really awesome. That actually brings me to this question. Are you guys a technology company or an ecosystem company? Great question. I think we, Datavan itself is a technology company. That is, that is what we make. It's what we offer uh, out to our clients. But like any good middleware, the ecosystem is really where the value is. I get asked all the time, you know, what is unique and special about our software? There are some really nice things that we do that I think that make it uh, really strong, but we're only as good as the people who are using our software. And so the ecosystem is really where I would say a lot of the value is. And so we take a lot of pride in the, in the folks that are using our software, because I think that those are the folks actually generating value for patients and, and for doctors. So I think that the ecosystem is really, I think, where, where we spend a lot of time making sure that we're, we're really connecting folks together who can take advantage of each other's strengths. Now we come to my favorite question. It's the last question and my favorite question. If you can Zoom call any living person today, who would it be and why? Yeah, that's tricky. I, I think I, I spent enough time on Zoom. I'm not so sure I want to do more. <laughs> 
That is a complicated one. Any living person, and I'm not going to get into politics or any of those scary areas. Well, I don't know. You've stumped me on that one. Let's see. Maybe I'll come back to you on that one. All right. Let me make it easier for you. Alive or dead? Alive or dead? You know, I would... When you actually said politics, I thought you were going to say Obama or something. Yeah, (laughs) he's still alive. I think it'd be interesting to go back to some of the civil rights leaders of the 60s. What would Martin Luther King Jr. think of where we are today? Would his approach to solving some of the issues we're still having be the same or different as the approach he took then? I think that'd be a really interesting discussion to have. I would hope he'd have insight that we would be able to apply to today's ongoing issues and hopefully not be sad that more progress has not been made. That would certainly be an interesting phone call to have. That's actually a really good choice, especially given what's happening right now. And I think this applies in so many different ways, even in healthcare. I I think in 50 years from now, if I ask this question, they're going to ask us, do you guys, if you look at what we did today, looking back, would you have done healthcare the same way that you're doing healthcare today? So it's always really a good uh, retrospective question to like see how your approach really worked. Hey, Jason, thank you so much. You shared with us today like really great stories and uh, that's impressive work, especially with the COVID. So kudos for that and congrats. Also having someone coming from super scientific background like you to eat a product in healthcare, we can see more of that happening, I think we're going to have a better healthcare system. So again, thank you so much and all the best of luck for you and for DataVent. Stay safe. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. 